0: Alright All right. let's go did you start recording? Yep. Hello ladies and gentlemen. This is Chimp Chim Talk. I'm your host, Sam Afshapur. I am here with Milad Alamkhani, mm-hmm. Did I say it properly? Yeah,
1: yeah. Yes. You nailed it.
0: <laughs> awesome. What do you what are you checking on your phone?
1: I'm just connecting to Wi Fi making sure.
0: Okay, so you can look up things as I Sure sure. Okay, okay is yeah. that what? <laughs> Okay, so do you wanna should we start off by telling people how we know each other?
1: Uh yeah. We could do that.
0: You want to... Yeah,
1: sure. So, I mean, I met Sam, I think, a month ago, right? And we work together right now. We work at Goldcast uh, doing video editing and that kind of stuff. Um, And uh, we've had some deep conversations about all kinds of stuff, philosophy, psychology, you know, politics, whatever you want to call it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, Actually, yesterday we talked about uh, the porn industry. Um, I don't know. I I know that you don't necessarily want to go too deep into that.
1: Yeah. I mean... It's not like a big deal. It's right. not like a stigma, but it's just I'm work, I'm making a film about it. So I don't want to kind of like give away grains of, you know, interesting facts that I'm going to have in the film, if that makes sense. Right. So, I mean, if you want, I can gloss over it, but I'm not going to go into detail. Exactly. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't
0: need you to go into detail, but yeah. I, I want you to kind of like briefly talk about it. Okay. Just so that I could ask you, I could follow up with the question of what do you th- what effects do you think it has on men that okay, are negatives? So okay. just briefly, the, like, like, talk about So yeah, about that, that I can do. Okay, cool. So just
1: to give context, I worked as a video editor in the porn industry for about a year, but I wasn't... So the way it works is that the company outsources a lot of the post-production to a facility in Montreal. So there's, like, hundreds of just, like, you know, people in Canada editing... For different brands right and i used to be a video editor for about eight months um and my experience there was pretty pretty weird slash interesting so i mean um i started to notice certain effects that it could have on generally males but i think females as well i think you can you know have those negative kind of effects right so i mean i'm not really an like i'm not going to be anti-porn but i'm Anti-mainstream porn, in the sense that I feel like the way things are handled and the lack of ethics behind it, really damages um, overall a guy's mental health. Right. right? Um, but yeah, so I just worked there for about eight months. It was kind of like you know that documentary Super Size Me with right. McDonald's. Right. It was literally, it felt like that in the sense that I was eating McDonald's every day, <laughs> and I start to see the, like the real world consequences and effects on my own mental health, and like the way I would just perceive the world and relationships and all that stuff so yeah it's it's not very good I mean and there's a good porn out there too there's like feminist porn so I mean there's porn that's healthy but overall like the mainstream stuff and I'm not going to name any brands because of you know NDAs that I've signed but overall I'd say like um, it just you know just the idea of how it's kind of portrayed like this, this fantasy of what you know, guys kind of want and yet reality never kind of matches up to that, mm-hmm. right? So That in itself is an issue, right? Right.
0: Because, yeah, you, you never, like, fulfill your fantasy so you're always, like, um, left dis- disappointed. In there's
1: way. that aspect of it too but right. I think, I mean, if you look at mainstream porn now, like, they're kind of pushing the boundaries of the stories so, like, there's a lot of... um you know, like fringe fetishes, mm-hmm. like, you know, stepsister, stepbrother, yeah, stepmother. And they, and I mean, if you see that pattern's been growing, and it's because the porn industry has kind of realized, oh, wow, this really sells. We get more people watching it. And they don't really understand why, but because they just care about making money and getting more people watching it, they just keep on pushing, you know, the envelope, the envelope and yeah. stuff. And it's, it's not good, man. Like, I'm, I feel like right now, in terms of what's happening socially, we have, like, real-world experience kind of demonstrating how maybe the porn that guys consume is causing more issues of this in the real world in the sense of, like, the Mewtwo movement or even, like, you know, yesterday I read an article about how this girl was raped by her Uber driver in Miami, right? And, like, the details were just kind of, like, really shook me. And then when they arrested the guy, he was... Um, he was just like, you know, that's perks of being an Uber driver. You get pussy. That's what he literally said to the cops when they arrested him, right? And I'm like, when I think about some of the storylines that the porn industry kind of, you know, propagates and and kind of builds in, in in that kind of fantasy world. I mean, that's one of them. Like, you know, whether it's, you know, you're a boss at like a corporate job and then you exploit some sort of like your employee who's, you know, dressed gantily or whatever, or even like you know, like there's so many of these fantasies, these mm-hmm. male fantasies, and I feel like as men we don't really see how that could really you know affect us in the real world and cause more issues and more dysfunction, right? Um, yeah, so there's yeah there's there's definitely it's like an untouched um, conversation because I mean one I think you know it's kind of a stigma and two like I feel like for example the feminist movements it's easy to judge like these isolated cases and these guys who do these you know things. But they don't really attack, you know. Um, the cause? The cause, or even like the cultural movements behind it. Like, you don't really see them attacking, you know, rappers who are kind of doing that kind of stuff because, you know what I mean? they're, or they're rapping about it? Not even just like, rapping about it, but yeah, I guess, yeah. I mean, like, if you look at how much of that can affect a young guy's upbringing, right? When, you know, a rapper's like, yo, bitches and hoes, bitches and hoes. Yeah. And then you're a 15 year old kid, you're like, bitches and hoes, right? It's like, man, you don't see the movement going after that because it's so normalized right and i think porn is another example of that right Mm -hmm. so i don't know man it's it's definitely something but yeah i'm making a film about it sometime in the next year or so and then um a lot of that will be kind of talked about in that project but
0: yeah yeah i remember asking you yesterday if um the pornos were um it's i believe it's filmed Mm -hmm. in europe where the guy approaches a girl in his in the street yeah. and like picks her up and then like they hook up, it looks so uh, real because it was filmed in such an amateur way. Yeah, where it's like a POV, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I don't know if you're allowed to say this, but you were telling me how that's that's fake. You know, it's, it's yeah, everything all, like, everything you see in porn is generally yeah, fake. Everything yeah, everything is fake. And uh, you went into details about like the types of editing that you would have to do in order to to clean up uh, a scene or yeah. All the b- broken dicks and bleeding assholes, and like you Whoa, would see <laughs> to
1: be specified, just one broken dick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there was one broken dick, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, man, it's crazy how like it's so um flawed it is in a way, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean, then yeah. you don't see that as a, as a viewer, you don't see all the mistakes, you don't see all the nastiness behind, mm-hmm. you know, what I mean? and like all the nastiness behind the scenes, but you got to like witness that, and it's crazy that uh, we got to... somewhat of a of a of an inside view of like (laughs) what type of uh, nasty shit that we see in the the, the porn industry
1: yeah I mean like I don't think it's really just the porn industry I think it's everything Everything, you know like I think we live in such a fake world right now and even social media is an example of that right Um, and I mean yeah I mean it's kind of sucks for guys because I feel like when they watch that kind of stuff they're They really, I mean, there's a part of you that starts to really believe that's reality. But even like, I mean, if you think about all your sexual experiences, I mean, not all of them are great. There's a lot of shitty ones. There's a lot of awkward ones, right? I mean, even sex in itself, like, you don't really, you can't really smell what a set smells like when you're watching a video because you're not there. But yeah, it's pretty gross, actually. It's not very, um, you know, that pleasant in some cases, right? Um, And
0: uh, okay, okay, like as much as we know about uh, how nasty like it could get, um, what were uh, what were some like effects that you felt like men were having? Uh Well, yourself actually speak about yourself and and what you felt like it did to your mental health.
1: Well, one, I mean, like when you're watching that kind of stuff, it's like constant hits hits of dopamine, right? So I mean, you're really it's almost like you're bathing your brain in in chemicals, and because I was doing that so often. Like, that's what it felt like. I'd finish a shift and, like, I'd be going home and it, I felt like I was floating, you know? Like, it was just a very weird kind of, like, chemical, biological, you know, overall, like, feel. Um, in terms of what it did, it just also made me really depressed and, like, made me really constantly hypersexualize reality and, like, objectify girls all the time. And... Um,
0: well, what type of effect you felt like it had on like your dating life during that time
1: yeah it's just that like well first off like my ability to relate to a woman was hugely diminished right so it's just like i noticed that even like if you want to call it performance performance in terms of how i would express myself to a woman would deteriorate you know what i mean mm. like i wasn't present i wasn't able to kind of just be myself there was this and i feel like there's this um emotion of like shame behind porn almost or like that kind of porn, right? Like, um, how do I explain? Like so watching
0: it or... I mean,
1: watching it too because I feel like there's no guy that watches it that feels, um, you know, positive about watching it, you know? Right. Like after you watch porn, like most guys, they kind yeah. of just feel kind of disgusted with themselves. They're like, yeah. oh, what did I just do? I spent my afternoon doing that, you know yeah. what I mean? But then that's why it kind of becomes an addiction to an extent because when you feel like they kind of like psychologists have kind of you know they have theories that the root cause of all addiction is the feeling an emotion of shame right so when you feel ashamed it's such a horrifying feeling to experience that you kind of use a mood alter her to avoid that feeling so that's why you get into cycles of um you know um acting out whether it's drugs alcohol or even porn addiction or sex addiction right there's actually a great film about this called shame right mm. directed by steve mcqueen and he kind of Um, tries to understand and kind of show what it feels like for a man to have sex or porn addiction right and it's a great kind of character study in that but I think that's what it is like you start to feel that um, overall because I think at the end of the day like we're kind of biologically hardwired to want to you know procreate have sex and like engage with a female as men right so then when you're engaging with them but not really engaging with them you're engaging with them in this like fantastical virtual kind of I don't know realm there's this level of just like toxicity that you feel about yourself like you know and that affects your self-esteem you you, you know you can become depressed and whatnot um, so I mean there's a lot of issues with it like I feel like in general if even if guys like there's that whole no fat movement too and like guys yeah. have talked about how like yo man I did this and like you know I feel so much better I feel more confident and that stuff affects a guy's overall self-esteem right so I'd say those are definitely some of the negative effects of it. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah I, I, I did no-fap for about uh, eight months. Yeah. Uh, and then I, quote-unquote, relapsed. But I'm not not relapsed in the sense that I was addicted before. But uh, it, it was a part of my life, like uh, a lot of people it was, you know. so um And then I watched it again, and then I, I went back to, like, no-fap, quote-unquote. Yeah. But no-fap for me was just uh, not watching porno, right? Yeah. Because I felt like you couldn't... Like, I was at a stage where I couldn't imagine... Uh, a f- like a female and getting aroused like by myself with my imagination myself and then I'm like okay this is this is an issue and I also realize that porn makes you uh, it gives you the impression that every girl is like getting like gang banged like you know what I mean <laughs> on, the, on on her weekend so so you you talk you talk okay. to women yeah in a way that is like okay yeah like mm-hmm. I, I watch porno I know exactly like what, what you've been up to yeah. you know what I mean like you feel like. Um, yeah, you almost feel like every girl is a is a hoe and, and that's why I stopped watching porno. And and also it desensitizes you. It desensitizes yeah. you in the sense that like yeah, you see naked women all the time on like mm-hmm. a, on your laptop. So you're you're less motivated to pursue women in real life.
1: Well so. I think it also you mentioned mentioned something and you're like so I think it affects the way you perceive sex, right? So I mean, as guys we're visual, right? Generally speaking, but the thing is that have can you remember the last time you had sex where it was more emotional or intimate than it was a visual kind of experience right can you or no no well yeah yeah it goes way 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 back. that's what I'm saying and I feel like it's tough for guys now to kind of think of that an experience where it was like that and then usually when the guy brings it up they're like oh it was that one girl who I was madly in love with and I was able to be myself and vulnerable and all that stuff right so I want you to think about that for a sec because I feel like That is what healthy sex is supposed to be like, you know, Mm. it's supposed to be an intimate emotional experience, not just like this instant gratification where you get it out of your system, then you feel kind of, you know, it's like this dirty high almost, you know what I mean? So, and I think this kind of stuff and like everything else that we're, you know, kind of, you know, subjected to in the media is making it worse, right? So I think these are definite issues that we can actually, you know, see um, just in male culture and whatnot and like... You know, and it goes back to all these issues we're having now. It's like everyone's blaming, you know, isolated incidents or like they'll be like, oh, it's the patriarchy. Oh, you know, it's like misogyny. And those are not really tangible things that you can kind of pinpoint and correct. They're just kind of like these... A
0: behavior that's... It's
1: it's just like an abstract system, right? And you lose context and tangibility because you're just blaming like this invisible dragon as the, you know, the enemy. Mm -hmm. And then you, when someone kind of does behavior that resembles those systems, then you kind of be like you're just doing that, you're encouraging the patriarchy or misogyny or whatever, which is I think there's truth to that, but I mean, none of it happens in a vacuum I mean, there's always like a a cause and effect there's always a root cause, and I feel like as right now as a society, we fail to look at root causes and correct these issues, you know, like I mean, there's not one issue, there's multiple factors like we just talked about one of them, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Like whatever, maybe porn or 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 something like that but even like it goes deeper like it goes deeper in our psychology our biology our, our our chemistry is like you know guys or whatever so I don't know man it's a it's a complicated issue but definitely I'd encourage guys like if you can't not watch porn then just like ration how much you watch right um, and at the end of the day too like you'll notice when you stop watching it you just feel better you mm-hmm. know like I haven't really watched it in a long time I don't mm-hmm. watch it anymore it just yeah. for me it's It's like eating junk food you know like when you eat junk food you really you you feel good in the moment but you feel like crap afterwards right Mm -hmm. and you know like there's this huge movement with guys of like yo eat healthy you know go to the gym so think of it like that when it comes to sex like promote healthy kind of like uh lifestyles for that for that area too right
0: um yeah and it's crazy how like porn didn't get any um backlash when it c- w- when it came to the behavior of men towards women in the mm-hmm. sense like with the whole me too movement like yeah. porn wasn't even mentioned like porn had nothing to do with it but it had it did some conditioning to men like men be- yeah. believe that women wanted to be treated in that way you mm-hmm. know what i mean where like you see the most perverted things uh, like on websites on yeah. porn websites and whatnot so like men were convinced that women wanted to be treated in such a, a diminishing uh, way um, and it's crazy like uh, i want to talk about a personal experience that i had f- mm-hmm. f- and, and and to just to show like uh the, the type of conditioning that went into me Like I was talking about this And I was saying how like For me it was normal to like Slap a girl in the ass right But okay. and, and, and there was this one girl That was just like What what are you doing mm-hmm. Like what the fuck are you doing But I was so conditioned to believing that You know it was a regular thing to me Like it's yeah. just like I, I thought it was Like I didn't even When she said what are you doing I didn't even know like That's what she was referring to That's mm-hmm. how conditioned I was Do yeah. you know what I mean So There's that but to even higher like it, it can get it, much worse yeah. yeah it could get much worse than that but mm-hmm. that was just an example of how conditioned I was and I was just like oh shit okay mm-hmm. this is this might not be normal for every girl you know mm-hmm. what I mean oh yeah and she was telling me how like uh, no, no man has ever slapped her uh, like that you know what I mean so I was like oh fuck maybe I'm fucked up you know what I mean so yeah that was one experience but um yeah anyways um do you feel like uh, the Me Too movement has had a positive impact on men and, well,
1: uh, I mean on men or in general
0: um, on the way men behave behave towards women are they more prudent
1: well i feel like it depends on how you phrase the question so i think it's positive in the sense that it's conversations that weren't had that are being had and it's basically we've like removed like the veil with issues that were there for probably centuries you know so i think it's a positive thing overall i don't think it's completely and utterly positive in the way it's happening right now But I mean, that's how progress works. You have to take three steps forward, four steps back, and then five steps forward. That's how progress, you know, or growth happens. But overall, I think it is a positive thing. I think it really also, like, yeah, a lot of guys complain about like, oh, you know, I'm afraid to talk to a girl, I'm afraid to do this, but at the end of the day, man, like, I think it's whatever, like, i mean it's a good thing because it allows guys to be self-aware now with things that for them were automatic like you mentioned like slapping the butt if you didn't get feedback negative feedback from the girl could you have been self-aware to be like yo is that really me or was that my conditioning yeah you couldn't right yeah so not all negative feedback towards a guy is a bad thing right? right um so i think it's actually a good thing i just feel like guys are kind of Complaining a bit too much about it because they're afraid but honestly another thing that I always bring up is I feel like guys Really suck at reading social cues, right? Mm -hmm. So when I hear my guy friends talk about how they're on a date and you know, they're with a girl and you know all of a sudden like It's near the end of the day and they go in for a kiss or whatever and she rejects them and I'm like Well, did you see any signs that she was interested and you're like, I don't know we're on a date And I was like, well, I mean you could be on a date, but a girl might not be interested You have to be able to read her, right? I mean, there's so many ways you can read her to know if she's interested or not. And I think that's the thing. Like, guys aren't—I really don't know if it's biological, man, or if it's just, like, the way we're raised, right? Um, But I don't want to say it's biological because I feel like maybe it's a combination,
0: you know? Yeah, it's a combination. It's it's also very social. I remember, like, just being friends with a girl when I was younger and uh, my guy friends shaming me that I was friends with her. Mm-hmm. And saying, "Yo, what the fuck are you doing? Yo, you can't be friends with a girl." Or, yeah. You know, they shame me to the point that, like, so much so that I wanted to prove myself to my friends, to yeah. my guy friends, so badly that, like, I pulled a move on a girl that was my friend. Yeah. And it ruined that relationship. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? So I feel like the guys we shame each other too. We, yeah. we, you know what I mean? We shame each other, like, especially when I was in like high school and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It was it was all about getting the validation of your friends, mm-hmm. and it still is to a certain extent. And every time I catch myself in the realm of. Oh, I'm gonna get the validation of I don't know my friends, my coworkers, or whatever mm-hmm. the whatever it is. Yeah, I, I try to catch myself uh, fantasizing in that realm of, of validation, and i have been like, "Yo, dude, like, stop! This is not this is not what you what you actually want. This is yeah. just something that your ego wants. Yeah, you know what I mean. Your ego wants to be accepted. and and every time my 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 intentions are in the place of where I want validation." Mm-hmm. I always end up falling flat on my face because I feel like the root intention is not a good intention to have, to, to seek that validation mm-hmm. like from, from others. But yeah, that's that.
1: Well, I think, um, I mean, it's really just masculinity, right? Like the ideas of it. So I don't want to say that, you know, I hate it when people say kind of masculinity is wounded or masculinity is toxic or all masculinity is toxic, right? It's not fair to say that because there's a lot of great things about masculinity, Right but i feel like there are foundations of it that need to be reformed because there's a lot of a lot of stuff wrong with it right but and i feel like something that we all share as men is like this just masculine shame that we feel for being men almost you know what i mean like and we need to kind of find a way to redefine what it means to be masculine you know
0: but yeah yeah that's the issue also i feel like we don't we don't know what it is like We don't have a definition of masculinity
1: everyone has their own but there's also like archetypes of what masculinity is and like i see these movements online you know like the joe rogan movements or the jordan peterson movements and all these movements stem from you know just masculinity a lack of that and also not knowing what it is and the wound underneath of it right like one of my favorite films has always been fight club and fight club was about the idea of finding out what masculinity is redefining it right and I mean as crazy as old it is at is as it is as a film it's always relevant to it because I think this has been a conversation that's been going on for so long and like you know every young boy is struggling to figure out how they're supposed to be in the world you know mm-hmm. like you're kind of taught that you need to be you know Uh, strong, macho, grounded, you know, not emotional, successful, make a lot of money, all these different like pressures that you're kind of thrown onto your shoulders. Mm -hmm. And from a young age, you realize you can't be you, right? Like you said, you, you just had a female friend and you were cool with her. She was your friend. But then that, you know, social pressure from your, you know masculine group and whatnot they kind of pressured you to be like no you have to be the hyper masculine macho guy that gets girls and screws every girl that he meets right so then you ended up doing something that wasn't honest to you and authentic Mm -hmm. to who you were and you know you ended up losing a friend over it, right? right so these are the ways that these issues kind of influence us and you know like i think every guy in their 20s like it's i think being a guy in your 20s is so hard man like you're trying to figure out how you're supposed to be and like I remember my 20s my early 20s was just a shit show man like especially cuz for me personally I'm more sensitive and emotional so being a guy and having those traits it's so hard cuz like even if you're on a date the moment you show any kind of um lack of I guess groundedness right as a young guy dating it's very tough you know right. like you're supposed to kind of be stoic all the time or maybe that's what i believed cuz that's what i was taught and maybe that was all just bs you know right. but it's it's tough we're constantly trying to figure out what it is and i think now is an interesting time because i've noticed that guys are kind of starting to be more open about it and open up to each other like i feel like before it was very tough for guys to have some sort of intimacy quote unquote right whatever that means for a guy you know but i think now there's like a counter movement to this whole like oh guys sh- can't be emotional or sensitive or vulnerable you know what i mean yeah. but i don't know it's a
0: an ongoing thing dude uh, do you feel like it is actually a hard time to be dating if you're a millennial um, I feel like Vice, oh, is always, sure. Vice is always trying to convince us that it's a difficult time for millennials to be dating
1: well I, I don't really I feel like Vice is a lot of complaining <laughs> they do a lot of complaining to be honest but Um, I think it's true. I mean, it's very complex now, the dating world. Whereas, like, back in the day, you would just marry your neighbor or, like, get (laughs) an arranged marriage and it was over. Like, there was no power dynamic. There was no, like, oh, man, like, I have to make sure I don't text her back right away. She doesn't think that I'm needy or whatever. None of that bullshit, right? Right. Um, It's a
0: competition of who cares the less. Like, Yeah, and I
1: hate that because everyone's just playing themselves when they say, I care less, you know? everyone cares you know it's it's normal to care and like everyone's just like playing this game wearing these masks and like i think it really it it can get more or less worse depending on where you're dating like i feel like and maybe i'm being biased but i feel like north america is particularly like the us and like the city i'm from toronto is horrible with that kind of stuff it's just like you know power dynamics that's what dating is you know and part of me also feels like maybe it's an age thing maybe majority of people when they hit their 30s and they realize they're getting old they'll be like I'm sick and tired of this shit no more games and you just kind of commit and you see that happening with people who get married in their 30s and they kind of settle instead of like oh I'm waiting for the next best thing you know um, there's
0: also an abundance of choice too I yeah. think uh, there's a psychologist that coined the term. I think it was uh, the the paralysis of choice, or I don't know, I know yeah, yeah, what yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of this. But yeah, having choice is good, but having too much choice is not good. Yeah. In the sense that, like, you never decide because there's just an abundance of people to pick from, and you just like, you always feel like you could get better, so you never end up picking anything. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: No, it's definitely a thing. I mean, how many people have been seeing someone, but you kind of keep it open because in the back of your head, you're like, "What if something better comes along?" You yeah. know because there is so much choice and I feel like with social media you have that choice every day at the click of a button you know yeah. like you're constantly seeing different types of girls or different types of guys with different lives better lives more Mm. successful all that nonsense right
0: yeah that's why Instagram was driving me fucking crazy man I deleted that app but um a part of me I every time wants to go back and like like I sometimes I have like a really interesting day where I'm like oh shit I'm going to this event it's mm-hmm. super cool I'm with cool people yeah and a part of me wants to like share that with the world I don't know why like just mm-hmm. because just to know that like I don't know people watched it or or whatnot and and I'm like but not only that I always catch myself uh, comparing comparing myself to other people's like oh shit this person has a better career mm-hmm. oh shit this person has uh, the the most perfect looking relationship yeah. oh shit it's cuz you're always stuck in that realm of like uh, comparing yourself to other people's you know and that's why i feel like instagram is like one of the worst that's why I, I just fuck with um facebook and snapchat right now but
1: you know i'll be honest with you all that stuff that you all those people you compare to what you see is a lie right cuz I, I did a project where i wanted to do that exactly cuz i felt i was falling into that trap too where i was kind of comparing myself to other people's progress in life or whatever, right? And um, I was just curious about, you know, whether this is actually accurate or not. So then I chose, like, 25 random people I didn't know through social media. I just know their Instagrams. I messaged them, and I was like, "Um, let me interview you. I want you to, you know, share something vulnerable about yourself that doesn't, you know, appear on your social media. And, dude, like, I interviewed... You know, a model who looked like she had the perfect life, a male model who seemed like he was getting all this tail, right? A guy who's uh, an entrepreneur and he had like seven startups and he looked like he was the next Steve Jobs, all these people. And when I got to meet them and I would ask them like really deep, vulnerable, you know, penetrating questions... It was like cognitive dissonance because in in, on the surface i thought they were this kind of image of a person this was their life they were happy this that but then when i saw how much they were struggling man like all of them not one was what they appeared to be on their social media right and that really changed the way i look at it now when i see anything on instagram i know that it's just one layer one shade of that person right Mm -hmm. i mean if you look at your instagram if someone else looked at your Instagram, you'd be like, yo, this guy's life is freaking cool. He seems to be doing this, he's doing that. Yo, I kind of wish I was like him, you know? I kind of wish I was like Sam or whatever. And like, they don't see that, you know, your life sometimes can be boring. Your life can kind of be, you know, depressing or whatever. It's just part of life. Life is not supposed to be constantly happy. It's not supposed to be a social media highlight reel. That's not how it works, right? Yeah. So I think it really boils down to kind of realizing that and understanding it and once you understand it it doesn't phase you anymore because once I did that project it didn't phase me if I saw someone you know let's say I saw another filmmaker they're in a film festival right and I'm like but I'm not in a film festival right now right it doesn't phase me because I'm like everyone has a different you know place and time for what they want to get right and even you know, I remember I was at a film festival one time and I posted, it, yo, I'm at a film fest. And I, the reality was it wasn't that great of a film fest, right? right? But because it was the idea or image of being at a film festival, people filtered that and interpreted it as like, oh, shit, this guy's, you know, living it up. You know, it's super successful, right? So it really just depends how you relate to it, right? And mm-hmm. you just have to catch yourself when you fall into that trap, try and find a way to kind of, you know, manage a deal with it or... You know reframes reframes are great right mm-hmm. the moment you start comparing yourself to them right switch your perception just be like okay you know what does this person not have that i have right yeah i don't know
0: yeah but it's yeah it's it's hard to to Always, uh, like, reframe and whatnot. And I also need my I need my Instagram. Like, whenever I'm done filming a podcast, for instance, I need to, like, yeah. publish it. You know what I mean? I need to put it out. You need it for your freaking work and your business, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in the whole business of uh, publishing, like, the work I do and, yeah. uh, and whatnot. But, um, yeah, so I, t- I, t- I guess I told myself, like, uh, I'll turn on my, my, my Instagram whenever I need to publish something. Mm-hmm. That's what I, those are the rules that I set for myself.
1: Yeah, you ration yourself. You don't have to be on it 24 7, right? Because remember, like, it's not, it's like a slot machine, these social media apps, right? So you don't want to constantly be on it. Be on it like once or twice a day, max. That's
0: it. Anyways, um, I know that you've been editing for for a very long time, and uh, there's a bunch of documentaries that you're working on or that you've worked on before. Uh, What's one of your favorite, like, uh, documentaries that you've worked on or any type of work that you worked on?
1: Uh, Favorite, I mean, um, I'm currently working on a documentary. It's um, it's a docufiction, so it's a blend of fiction and documentary, right? In the sense that you don't know what you're watching, mm. right? You don't know if it's real or fake, and it's a film that was shot in Iran, and it basically kind of follows one character who used to have like this hero when he was a kid, and the hero was like this big, uh, famous thug slash I guess gangster. I don't know how to translate it properly, right? In English, but back then in the 50s, like the thugs were kind of like the how do I say the mafiosos of that society, and they were so powerful that they can even like influence political elections and whatnot, right? So the story basically follows this one character who had this one big thug save him from poverty and he's trying to find out more about him because he doesn't know that much so he goes in and starts interviewing every thug that's still alive who's like in their 80s on the verge of dying and stuff and he's just trying to figure out who this person is right and we're calling the film Elephants in the Dark Room after Rumi's famous poem right about a bunch of like scholars and academics trying to figure out what this creature is in this dark space and they each grab like you know a limb like a trunk a tail the body or th- the torso or whatever and each of them can't figure out what this creature is because they're just grabbing one aspect of it and the film is kind of like that
0: right? so so do you do you film uh, the interviews that you do with the, so I'm the
1: I only edited this one so okay. there's another f- director who shot it and he okay. gave me the footage and I've been working on it for about two years now right Damn. yeah so we're almost done and we're gonna send it out to festivals next year but it's the one I've been working on that I think has the most value in terms of storytelling right now, right? And it's cool too because I'm really a big fan of like blending truth and reality, or sorry, reality and, and uh, fantasy, right? Or like truth and lie, because I feel like most people take for granted um, that distinction, but I feel like it's it's like the lines are more blurred than most most people want to kind of uh, indulge or or kind of accept. And there's a lot of great films that do that. Like Iranian cinema is known to do that, right? Right. So they always blend you know the line between the two.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't know. I stopped watching that shit ever since it made me like super depressive.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of freaking sad Iranian There's movies. Man. The saddest yeah, yeah. movies on
0: earth are Iranian movies. Do not watch them. But they're good though. They're sad, but they're good. Man. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, they go so the deep into like the human struggle and suffering. Yeah. They go like. It's
1: always like a kid. Wound. It's like a kid who wants something and then like. He can't have he it. He can't have it and then he just cries and then you just cry with him. You know, it's like it's so horrible, but like
0: yeah (laughs) okay so so this documentary so you're mixing up um interviews with storytelling
1: so yeah what we're doing is we're using real people but we're manipulating and fabricating the story and what they say for the agenda of the narrative that we're building in post-production so i mean there's a lot of ethical issues with that kind of stuff because you're misrepresenting things right but the whole point is to do that because that's one of the themes of the film right i don't want to kind of spoil it but yeah that's what we're what we've been doing
0: overall yeah, and I'm excited to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn, I, I can't believe you have time to to edit outside of work because we, we already edit like 40 Dude, hours. Right now, I don't because I was
1: working like freelance for two <coughs> years, so I had the time. But now, like it's, I've been trying to work on it for like a month, and I haven't had any time. Right. right. So I'm gonna try and set aside some hours during the weekends.
0: But the last thing you want to do as an editor is go home and edit more. Like yeah, for me, at tell least, me about it. <laughs> for me, at least, I, the last thing I want to do is edit more. Even if it's my own podcast, I'm like, yeah. fuck this. I yeah. don't want to edit my own shit.
1: Just I, throw it all out there. Yeah, I don't want to listen to myself. And
0: yeah, uh, and yeah. but I force myself to do it because I just feel like I could learn something from yeah. from listening to myself. And like the mistakes I do. Yeah, I realize how how often I say like or um, or sometimes I swear. My my friends told me that I, I should I should uh, stop swearing.
1: No, I noticed that too when I was doing interviews because I would do interviews and I would write them. And as I would write them, because I would be the one asking the question, but also what I would do is I wouldn't really use what they said verbatim. I would kind of construct, I would understand what they were saying and then I would write it myself. Mm. And I, it was like an exercise for me because I could kind of get better at writing people's dialogue, right? Mm. But then I noticed that I use certain words and all of like the um, answers to the interview, interview questions. Like I use the word just a lot. J-U-S-T And I was like Man Not everyone uses it That's my You know Way of speaking Kind of like Coming in So then you become aware of these Like the words Mm -hmm. you use And you're like You know I feel like I really want to kind of try And I feel like it's really tough To be original in general Like Think about it How many of your thoughts Are really original Right Probably none Majority of people's thoughts Are not original at all Like it's just copies of copies of copies Because we're just social And everything we learn In terms of knowledge Came from someone else Right So I always try and find ways to have or find a way to kind of have some sort of original thought or do something original, you know, um, I don't know, and just in in daily life, right? Something Mm. that just comes from you in the Mm. moment instead of it being kind of given to you by someone else, an experience or something you learned, you know? Mm. Um, But
0: yeah. What were you trying to say? We can hear uh, the rubbing between the beard and the headphones. Is it? Uh, okay, yeah, okay, from Almost the headphones defaults. The, the yeah. static yeah, yeah. noise that you were hearing in the headphones That's essentially that Okay, I didn't oh, even these notice beards, man. <laughs> I was just listening, listening to him talk Anyways, but you, bro- can,
1: but you can hear me okay with the mic, right? Yeah, well, yeah we can hear okay. you Yeah, I'm hearing you uh, Alright,
0: cool Okay, so um, w- w- yeah, I
1: can hear it correctly and I'm always adjusting the volume Okay, okay What's yeah.
0: uh, one of the craziest things you've ever done?
1: Craziest? Yeah Um Who Okay, well, I mean, in terms of crazies, like, okay, so when I finished film school, I had such an inferiority complex and like a desperate ambition to be the greatest filmmaker ever, that instead of just doing a normal short film, like a normal person, I decided to make my first film, a 30 30 minute film in a country where I've never been to with a language I don't speak with more than 30 characters that were all kids and more than 15 locations with over 400 shots, right? So for a short film, it's ridiculous. Like no one would ever conceive to do that. So I did it. I, I flew down to Mexico City for four months. I worked on this film, and it was the craziest thing I've ever done. I had to deal with like corrupt police trying to arrest us and steal our gear, like local gang members from the MS gang like coming and accosting us because um, we shot on a lot of dangerous areas. Uh, like one of the fathers of the kids we were working threatened to like murder us because the kid one day claimed that we sexually abused them on set like fucked up shit man like crazy no stuff way. yeah like so much stress like i had like a breakdown during the shooting <laughs> it was it was horrible and when i came back and finally finished the film i had like hard, i legit had ptsd like i had to deal with that stuff right and that's why I actually what well, even what was even more messed up is when i came back after that film and i had ptsd which i didn't know i had right um i started working in the porn industry so which is the worst thing to do when you have a mental health issue like ptsd so i freaking it made me even worse man because i'm constantly seeing that stuff it's affecting my overall like health plus i already have that so that was probably the craziest thing i did
0: man you have some balls to go down to mexico i was just
1: desperate i wouldn't call it courage man it was just desperation and it was like a project that I uh, crowdfunded with Kickstarter and mm. that added more pressure because I had like a bunch of like high level industry professionals who like uh, pitched in like a thousand dollars each. Mm. So I had to make a good film because these, you know, um, established filmmakers in Ontario. We're basically the backers, right? They're gonna watch it. So that pressure was just insane. And like, I don't know if you've ever worked with kids, man. Kids do not co- cooperate and they have no idea how to act. They can't remember lines, nothing, right? Mm-hmm. So that's to, and like when you're working with a kid, because when you're a director and you're directing adult actors, it's 50%, I would say actually, no, it's 80% the actor's job, 20% director. Mm-hmm. But with kids, it's like 80% the director's job, 20% the kid. So for a first film, it was not a good idea however because i threw myself into like the water with sharks without knowing how to swim i learned how to swim really fast and really well so like i grew faster but i fucking traumatized myself so uh yeah it wasn't the smartest but i don't regret it because i i learned so much doing it right who'd you go down there with by myself man i just went there and i found the crew and the cast there yeah so i did everything myself and like when i found the crew in the cast then it, w- it was okay because i mean if i don't speak spanish at the time how am i gonna be able to function you know right. to make a movie there so and i did learn spanish when i was down there so because i had to constantly work with kids that spoke no english right
0: did you uh did you ever end up publishing it? Oh.
1: uh no because what happened is i think yeah like i was talking to this girl yesterday who's an architect from montreal and she talked about how she stopped. Uh, doing architecture because she just couldn't cope with how much of a perfectionist she was, right? And I feel like that's kind of uh, what I deal with too. I'm too much of a perfectionist. So I spent like three years editing this film and I couldn't release it because I needed it to be perfect. But then I think the learning process was that there's no piece of work that can be perfect, Mm -hmm. right? And I mean, it's just, you can only conceive a project or a piece of work as good as you, like your growth at that moment, right? So, if I knew this in hindsight, I would probably have released it within that year that I shot it. But I haven't released it until now, actually, right? And I'm probably just gonna put it online uh, in the next few months when it's finished. It's just still a thirty with. minute cut. Uh, there's two versions. There's a twenty two minute cut and a thirty minute, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm deciding which one I want to put online, right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think we all go through that, right? With yeah, it's our work. Easy yeah
0: yeah you're probably one of the first like uh real like aspiring directors that i've i've met yeah. that are really down to like create film and 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 um flourish in the in that type of art yeah um yeah i've never like i, I me myself i was just like Editing little videos for fun You know yeah. On YouTube But I never like aspire To become like this crazy director Or whatnot. But I'd be down to direct My own uh, little uh, short movie You one should day. man But yeah I just don't have a, uh, don't have an idea yet But uh, if ever I do Yeah I'd be down to do it Yeah Cause the thing is Like yeah In order to be a, like a media A media person Or a, I guess like Even a director Like you need to know everything Like th- that's what I realized About myself I'm like yeah, Dude I need to know How to edit mm-hmm. Interview Um, direct if you know it all you could really like do some damage
1: I mean yeah it helps to know it all but Mm. at the end of the day too like I mean there are directors that don't know shit and they just hire a team to do all the other Mm. stuff they don't know know, Mm. and they do it like there's so many directors that did that like there's that a director sam mendes he did american beauty right that Mm -hmm. was his first film before that he was a theater director so he doesn't know anything about camera work or editing or Mm -hmm. cinematography or film language right but he made an amazing first film because he hired a good team and he had a sensibility that kind of come combined with that team and ended up having a good film so you don't always have to know everything but it helps when you're starting out because you don't have the luxury of being given A great team to work with when you first start out
0: yeah yeah what are what are some projects that you have uh, in the horizon besides uh, the documentary so many so like I already
1: have the next four feature films I want to make in my head written from beginning to end I know what shots I want to use I know what music I want to use I just have to write it and start doing it so I want to make a feature film about two people that fall in love in Montreal, right? And I want to base so the story kind of goes that I build up the relationship and then um the girl that the girlfriend in the relationship when she was younger uh like 19 or so, she did like, you know, one or two scenes of in the porn industry to kind of pay for school or whatever, right? And the boyfriend kind of knows that happened, but he kind of ignores it cuz it's not a big deal. But then a seed is planted where he notices something in the relationship and he becomes kind of paranoid and then he becomes curious and he finds that scene and he sees what she did in the scene and that changes his entire perception of her. And I wanted to kind of like show what happens from there. Like how does that affect the relationship? And it goes to a very dark place after, right? That's a boyfriend's
0: nightmare. (laughs) Yeah, man. (laughs) Because you can never see your girl the
1: same way because of, you know, especially the way porn is done, right? So there's that, and then I want to make a film about the, loosely based on the Toronto van attack, right? Where the guy uh, killed nine people by running them over. And I want to kind of explore what led him to do that. And it's basically like a walkthrough through through modern day masculinity, right? Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, like I already know how it's going to pan out. I is know it, the story is it's just yeah.
0: Is it going to be about like incels or
1: in well it's going to it's going to feel like it's about incels, but it's about something deeper than incels because even like the why the why the guy did it, it's not just cuz he was an incel and he just did it, right? I mean, that's the reason he came up with or the rationalization or the influence that led him to do that, but I mean it goes deeper. I mean, a lot of these guys that commit these things, the root cause is usually just social isolation and loneliness, right? Mm and i mean the evidence is there the the rhetoric is there i mean it's pretty 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 much obvious that these are the causes of it but then because they identify as doing it for incels or for like you know that kind of thing we kind of just blame that and don't see the the cause of it right because i think it's much more social than it is like
0: you know incels yeah like what, what, what would be your take if uh I was to find an incel and I would bring him on the podcast. Do you feel like I'm promoting their ideology? Or do you feel like it's it's good that people become aware of this type of, uh, I guess, ideology?
1: I really think it depends on how you question the person and what you bring to the podcast. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you just kind of ask them superficial, simplistic questions, then I think it doesn't really do much good, it does more harm than good. But if mm-hmm. you try to understand why he's doing what he's doing, why he's an incel, and deconstruct his own belief system and maybe get him to realize something about himself, then I think you're doing something good. Right. So it depends how you do it, right? So I feel like most of these people, when they bring these kind of individuals on their podcasts, I don't think they're doing it right. right. You, know?
0: you have to be very competent in order to deconstruct his, his whole yeah. idea yeah. On a one hour, two hour podcast. Yeah, like, you like have even to be really
1: good. Exactly. And even like the issue I had with a lot of people that would interview Jordan Peterson, right? They would either attack him, right, from the left side, or they would just uh, choose not to challenge him at all. There's no middle ground, right? And I think it kind of alludes to this black and white, all or nothing syndrome that we have in society and just the way people's minds work, right? Sometimes you can, it's okay to kind of be on the left, yet give someone on the right. Enough, you know, space for them to make their case, Mm. you know. And I feel like that's something that's lacking with a lot of, especially a lot of like personalities on the internet or TV or whatever,
0: right? Who's your favorite interviewer? Favorite interviewer. Besides Sam Afsharpoor.
1: Ah man, Sam is—it's pretty hard to contend with Sam Afsharpoor. Yeah, Sam's on the come up. (laughs) Man, I can't even think of someone right now. No, I can't think of anyone. If it comes to mind I'll tell you. That's how probably like how shit like people are at interviewing that I can't even think of anyone. Man,
0: I want to see you interview people. You I would love any? to
1: actually. I would love to interview JP. Like I would actually yeah.
0: Dude, he, he seems like he's quite open to uh the media outreach like, that's mm-hmm. that he receives. Like he goes on like random shows, I'm like a super surprised. Like mm-hmm. so I like I'm pretty sure if you have He just
1: likes attention, man. Like
0: the thing is, the thing is, no, yeah. no, no, but the thing is, if you write a book, you have to do all the media obligation that comes with it, and the more, mm-hmm. you, the more media coverage you have, the better it is for your book.
1: Well, okay, no. think of it this way, okay? So Jordan Peterson, imagine he's a he's a dude who has had these particular ideas for a long time, right? And he's always been rejected by all the universities and all the people, especially in Canada, because Canada is pretty freaking liberal and progressive. So being a conservative is almost kind of like difficult to be you know especially in the universities so he's always being rejected isolated and pushed away his ideas are always being kind of reduced and you know and then you know he becomes a professor he teaches for a long time no one really takes his book seriously because he's wrote he's he wrote his book a while ago right the, his first yeah. book a while ago. yeah i mean like he was there for a while but never really sold to anything and he would just teach at you know universities his ideas and his ideology and then all of a sudden at the age of like 50 i guess that's how old he is right now right Ish, yeah. yeah he's taken seriously to the point where he is the number one bestseller in the world people actually he has a movement behind him he's like a millionaire now right he's people are thinking of him like the one of the greatest canadian intellectuals in the past like decade or whatever so he has all this attention and for once He's like, man, my ideas are actually good. I am special, right? I am an intellectual. Because he's never had real, you know, anything tangible to kind of say that, okay, my ideas are actually, you know, good or I'm, you know, I'm. A good intellectual, whatnot, until now, right? So for that reason, obviously he's gonna soak up that attention. And I'm not saying like he wants attention like he's a Kardashian. I'm saying he wants attention like he's an intellectual. You know, mm. it's not really about him, but it's ideas. For him, he is his ideas, and because his ideas are being taken seriously, for him it's the best feeling in the world. He could care less about the money, I would presume, than he does care about people thinking his ideas are actually good or in you know morally right. I would say, mm. right? But he's like another. Or a whole other story. Like, I don't really like him. I don't resonate with him. I don't agree with his stuff. I think he's, like I told you, I feel like he's a con artist to himself with a lot of his stuff. And I feel like saying this is controversial because every time you challenge JP, there's like a storm of just like JP followers who just attack you and stuff. It's uh, it's almost like a cult, man. And that's what's scary, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
0: I, yeah, I like his work, but I try to be open and, and try to see what the people who don't agree with him are thinking. You yeah. know what I mean? But uh, I, I personally enjoyed his work, but it's been such a long time that I haven't listened to, to yeah. JP that it's like not as fresh uh, in my mind as I want it to be. Yeah. But I, I, I feel like his fame was kind of accidental in the sense that he actually believed that Bill C-16 was going to impede on uh, the freedom of speech in Canada. Like mm-hmm. I really feel like he really, really believed that. Mm-hmm. Am I not talking into the mic? No, no, you don't talk into the mic. You talk to the guy. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, uh, Yeah. And um, some of his his self help and self development uh, uh, lectures were actually I think they were quite beneficial. You know what I mean? Uh, like he just talks about like getting your life together, taking responsibility for your mm-hmm. for your shit and, and, and whatnot. And I feel like that resonated with me. It, it, everything he talks about in the in the realm of self development resonated with me. Now we, you can argue that his politics or his, his view on, on I don't know. Uh, society isn't uh, isn't good. Like you could argue that. Like I don't know enough in, in order mm-hmm. to argue for it or against it, actually. But um, but yeah, everything he said in in, in terms of self development, I, I I liked it personally.
1: Well, I feel like yeah. I mean, every every intellectual you listen to or every speaker, there's truth to what they say. It just depends how true it is mm-hmm. to you and how true it is within a context, mm-hmm. right? So I mean, I'm not gonna say that he nothing. Everything he said is BS. It's not actually like he's made a lot of great points. Like when he says the left has gone too far, I'm someone that actually leans more to the left, right? But it's true. I feel like the way the left is arrogantly and at, like believing that what they were kind of taught and what they believe is an accurate depiction of reality. I think it's not a good way to kind of approach life because it's just, it's the exact same structural. Um, way that people would think back in like that 1900s you know or even like in medieval times or whatever right when you think about like religions for example god said do this that is absolute whereas like when you know people on the left say certain things about i don't know uh gender equality yeah but
0: yeah yeah, i guess he he was upset at the the whole outrage uh culture that was that was happening online Yes, like yeah, everybody was just uh, outraged about everything and like how you're you're, you're kind of doing uh, vi- or some virtue signaling by like disagreeing with someone. Yeah, like listen I come from this moral high ground because I disagree with your views on uh, fat people, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not fair that uh, we say that uh, obese people are unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they have feelings too. But when you look at the facts, like being obese is not good, and there's certain things that, you know, that we have to be able to say. Mm-hmm. without like as much as it's it's hurtful for let's say uh, an obese pe- person to hear that that you know being obese is unhealthy but then the left would like defend the fat person and be like no you're fat shaming this and that
1: well i don't think it's that's not the problem i think the the word that you just used right i don't think it's good or i don't it's not good the difference between that right mm-hmm. so i think the issue with both left and right and this is my issue with jp is that because he believes something and he has some sort of data that uh, confirms his bias, right? Because he interpreted the data like that. He believes that's reality Mm. when really it's just a matter of subjective opinion and it can be true in one instance or the other, right? So when someone tells me, for example, obesity is bad, right? And they say it with absolute (sighs) conviction, like it's a universal truth. That bothers me, whether Mm. they're left or right, because, I mean, it depends how you look at it. Right? If you think of human beings as a cancer on this planet devouring the earth, obesity is not bad. Obesity is good because it's going to kill human beings. Right? Mm. Right? So, absolutely, it's not. Right? But it depends what perspective you're looking at. And I feel like we're so narcissistic as a species. We think we're so self important. Right? And everything happens for us or to us. Right? That we can't escape that kind of, you know, um, Morality around like how our survival is so important. You know, Mm. like I mean as a human being your survival survival is important to you because you are a human being and you're predisposed to survive, right? But like I think that's what my issue is because it's like he he talks about morality being absolute and that morality is predicated in religion and that's where we should derive our morality Mm -hmm. right in our values. It's good to have values, but to say that values, my values are absolute, that's my issue. That Mm -hmm. was the issue we had with religion from the get-go, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like he's kind of reinforcing that with a lot of people with the way he kind of uh, talks about these issues, right? Mm -hmm. Like even I told you when he said that women are more agreeable, that statement in itself is so flawed because you're making an absolute statement, right? Which is always subject to, to change and also subject to... Uh, context and other variables right Um, i mean if we kind of look at the you know like the demographic of just feminists are women more agreeable than men no they're not because have you ever talked to a feminist they're not agreeable at all right so within that kind of context and those variables his statement is false right So these are my issues with him. I just feel like he's a very poor communicator. He's very articulate, but he's a horrible communicator. Because communication is about the person that you're speaking with. You use language in a way where they can understand it, because everyone's different, right? So for example, a scientist that I think is a great communicator is Neil deGrasse Tyson. And he, there's actually a podcast with him and Sam Harris when he's giving Sam Harris flack because he's like, yo, you need to be a bit more responsible with how you try and educate people, right? Because Sam Harris, I think, is a horrible communicator as well. Mm. He's a great, very articulate, but he just doesn't know how to um, put himself in another person's shoes who has a different worldview, different level of intelligence, education, things like that, right?
0: So yeah, he's not fun to listen to, Sam Harris.
1: Yeah. Even yeah, even like uh, what, what do you call it? When he said enforced monogamy, right? No one else like in what in what world is someone going to know what enforced monogamy really means, right? Cuz it's a psychological term, right? Even I didn't know what it meant when he mentioned when he used the that as a solution. So instead of like explaining or defining what it is in a accessible way for the person that doesn't hasn't read that kind of rhetoric, he just very, you know, arrogantly says the solution to incels Enforce monogamy And then there's backlash And then they misrepresent them So I think it's easier to I mean anyone can misrepresent anyone Based on what they say But it happens less When you're more uh You're a better communicator And you right. use language in a way Where the other person you're speaking with Is understood You know
0: Right But I don't know Yeah I don't want to go too deep into that yeah. But yeah um Like um one of the the flaws in his uh, thinking that Joe Rogan pointed out was uh, his equality of outcome, yeah. and how like he b- doesn't believe in equality of outcome when it comes to like hierarchies in society and, and like jobs yeah. and careers. But then he believes in equality of outcome when it comes to like sex, you know, yeah. and like hooking up. And yeah, and it's, a about, I mean, yeah it's a paradox. I mean, that's a good example
1: of what I mean by he has gaps in his beliefs. Yeah. I guess.
0: But uh, anyways, I'm gonna wrap this shit up. So, yeah, sure. Um, Um, Some other questions That that I have for you Okay Let's say uh, If you could paint The perfect picture Of the ideal Milad What would Milad be doing? Ideal Milad? Yeah Oh man That's a good question You on steroids Like you As uh, you get to uh, Paint the perfect picture Of yourself What would you be doing? Uh directing for big uh, blockbuster movies this this is
1: a tricky question because i think the moment you paint a perfect image of what you want to be you're no longer perfect or you're no longer you're kind of stuck you're stuck in this like you know what i mean that you're never gonna get it yeah yeah so i mean like what i would want to ideally be doing sure i want to direct movies or whatever direct films uh you know i think of filmmaking as therapy so i would want to use that for that purpose Mm -hmm. but I mean, I think that's it's a distinction between me just doing that and me becoming a version of myself that can do that, you know what I mean? Mm. So,
0: I don't know, that's the way I would phrase it. But yeah. All right. Do you want to um, give a shout-out to your social media or something?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, you can follow me on Instagram at, at Malad the Filmmaker. Um, I have a bunch of like stories that I post there and uh, I do a lot of street photography. I photograph random people and I just make stories around them, add like captions and stuff, right? So I do that. Um but yeah you can see my work there.
0: Awesome man. Yeah. And uh thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me, dude. Um this was Chim Talk, I'm your host, Sam actually and we're signing out. Peace. Peace. Goddamn. Dope.